0: How can we envision the sweeping changes to entire landscapes? Ownership
1: of commons—the air, soils, water, biological diversity, cultural
0: diversity—is as Severe critical as biological diversity. In this
1: epic struggle oh, to preserve a habitable
0: planet, the only thing which is sustainable.
1: Every place that you love is now under siege.
0: Unregulated commerce is becoming a threat to the life on this planet.
1: These are system problems.
0: Our humanity
1: is stake. We at shouldn't state. ask whether we can survive These are existential or not. questions
0: as much as they are systemic questions. Action
1: informed by knowledge of get place. Down to work. You're listening to the Schumacher Lectures, a channel hosted by the Schumacher Center for a New Economics. The Schumacher Lectures feature speakers who challenge entrenched ways of thinking while exploring how to build a new economy that serves
0: both people and the planet any public program to preserve land or produce food is hopeless if it does not tend to right the balance between numbers of people and acres of land, and to encourage long-term stable connections between families and small farms. Matt Stinchcomb delivered his speech, The Nature of Work, How Ecosystems Can Teach Us to Build Lasting and Fulfilling Businesses, in November 2014.
1: Let's have a look at it. So yeah, this is really an incredible. Uh, oh, thank you, thank you, Sam. Uh, incredible honor to be here today, uh, not only in this amazing building with its incredible history. I was reading about this church this morning, um, but giving one of these lectures. Um, you know, Wendell Berry, David Orr, Bill McKibben, Judy Wicks, um, Otto Sharmer, Gus Beth, Ivan uh, Illich. Some of the people that I really consider my heroes and. Uh, the people who've been so instrumental in my own kind of self-educational path that I'm going to talk about a little bit today. Uh, it's, it's very intimidating, actually, to <laughs> be in here giving one of these lectures. Uh, you know, uh, To me, it, if, if it feels weird to you that I'm here, it's, it's even weirder to me. Uh, you know, <laughs> It was only eight years ago that I, I first uh, discovered uh, E.F. Schumacher uh, and now to, you know, be on the board of this illustrious organization is an incredible honor and also very weird to me. Um, my mom's also here, so that's, you know, an additional level of stress. Uh, so hopefully I can get through this without uh, losing my breakfast. Um, <laughs> and hopefully I'll impart uh, something of wisdom to you all. Um, you know, I'll preface this by saying that I, I don't have uh, a traditional background in business and i think that that's maybe been a good thing for me um but i've learned a lot just by doing and that's kind of what i'm going to talk about today Um, so thank you all for coming and on this chilly morning um i'm going to start um by going back a little bit and i won't talk too much about myself but it it sets the right context um is it we good um, so I moved to Brooklyn, New York I'm from Washington, D.C. originally and I, I moved to Brooklyn in 1997 uh, after graduating from Oberlin College uh, with a degree in art history um, and I remember I, I came, to, uh, came to New York I moved to Brooklyn this is actually uh, Washington Street in Dumbo where Etsy's offices are now um, this is just representing Brooklyn in general um, but I came here I was entirely broke I had tons of student debt and I had honestly no clue what I was going to do. Um, so I did what, what anyone my age would do. Uh, my first night in New York, I went out to a bar. and um, at that bar that night I ran into a woman that I knew from high school. She had a boyfriend and this boyfriend worked on something called a website, which I knew like roughly what they were, but you know just by way of, of illustration for the younger people here. So uh, my senior year at Oberlin, I took a, a research methods class in art history. Uh, and it didn't involve the internet. I mean, it was just, look at this German volume if you want to learn about this, and look at this Italian one, and here's the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, you know, so it, it's crazy just how quickly all of this happened. But these were the very uh, early days of the dot-coms in New York City. Uh, and, I, you know, I went and met this boyfriend of, of my friend on a Monday. I got a job on a Tuesday, uh, and I just started working on the internet. Um, and that was really uh, kind of the spirit at this first dot-com boom uh, later bust uh, but you know no one really had any formal training in these things so there was this kind of DIY ethic and entrepreneurial spirit uh, that the community had and I thought that's how business was done everywhere um, so I did that for three years um, I also was playing in a band at the time I've been I've been in band since I don't know I was in sixth grade I did a lot of music at Oberlin and uh, that was always what I would planned to do so uh, this is my band. I'm the thin one there, <laughs> the very pale one in a gr- group of very pale people. Uh, we, were, we spent a lot of time in a van, so we didn't see the sun a lot. But uh, this was my band, the French Kicks. And in, in 2000, I was actually able to quit my day job on the Internet and just do music full time. Uh, and we spent five years, you know, going everywhere you could imagine, um, you know, playing shows big and small. And, um, you know, I mention this because this really, to me, was my first real startup. Um, You know, no money, uh, no idea what we were doing, but, you know, starting your own business, your own creative business especially, you learn how to do everything. Sales, marketing, accounting, finance, and as you can imagine, uh, with all that time spent in the van, there's lots of difficult HR issues. So all of these things that later proved to be very useful skills for me, Uh, I also learned about merchandising. And so, interestingly enough, uh, this led me to my next startup. Uh, So I started making T-shirts and posters for the band. I taught myself how to screen print by reading online tutorials. Uh, Other bands started liking the things that I made. And so, all of a sudden, I had a business. Now, it never occurred to me that you needed to actually be trained in these things to run a business doing it. I remember uh, my wife's... uh, uh, father, uh, when we first met, he's there. He's a German fellow, and uh, he was very surprised that I, ha- you know, I was an art history student and I wasn't an art historian. And I was like, "Well, it never occurred to me. I just, you know, figured I'd figure something out." Um, but so I uh, became a screen printer, uh, and I, this this is important because I learned a whole other set of business skills here. Uh, I learned a lot, actually, also about um, you know some of the toxic chemicals that are used in these things, and I worked on trying to find alternatives to those things. Um, but I mention it also because it's what brings me to the maker movement uh, that was nascent in Brooklyn at the time, and also brings me to this guy, uh, Rob Kalen. And so at the time, um, Rob, uh, my wife, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, we were all living in this apartment in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. And Rob was... Um, Uh, One of those guys that, uh, you know, did a little bit of everything. He'd just graduated from NYU, which was his fifth college, uh, in classics. So, you know, who knew, who knows what he was going to do or planning to do. Um, But, you know, he could take beautiful photographs. He could do woodworking. He could do all sorts of things. And it's actually pretty funny. Um, This is kind of how Etsy began. Uh, So, Rob... um, Uh, like many creative people didn't have enough money to pay his rent uh, one time and went down to our landlord's office here's Rob again went down to our landlord's office and you know basically to say hey I I can't pay rent this month and uh, he saw a proposal for a website on our landlord's desk for uh, a restaurant that our landlord owned and it was exactly twice the amount of money that he owed in rent and he said you know I'll make your website for half that amount of money. And the landlord's like, great, sure. You know, well, where's my rent? And he's like, oh, you've got to pay me for the website first. Uh, and what, what I think is so also telling about that story is that Rob had never built a website in his life. He had no idea how to build a website, but he saw an opportunity. And, and that day he went out and he got a book on HTML uh, and built the website. Um, now, since it was a Cajun restaurant, he wanted to have animated flames on the website. Uh, but that wasn't in his book. So he posted something on an NYU bulletin board. Uh, two programmers responded, and they became the first two programmers of Etsy. Uh, so this is kind of just how Etsy happened. Um, so at this time, Rob was also making these, these handmade wooden computers. Uh, and I should mention, his wood shop was also his bedroom. Uh, so it was filled with sawdust. And he, he would also hide cats in there. Do you remember that? <laughs> uh... anyways it was it was a fun time um, but uh... so rob was making these handmade wooden computers and um, he sold a couple of them to uh... a local uh, bagel shop actually that was also a wifi cafe and he's like hey there's a market for these things that i'm making this is pretty cool you know i'll make uh... i'll make an e-commerce website to sell these things um, but then when he looked around, you know, uh, we were had the screen printing business, there was all of these bands, there was all of these creative people around us, everyone we knew was making things. And uh, he's like, wait a minute, you know, I'm realizing the need that I have to sell these things is a need that a lot of people have. Um, there's eBay, but eBay's not really great if you really care about the thing that you're selling. You know, it's kind of like, here's a CD I don't want, let me throw it up there. But, you know, this was his art too. Uh, and so he was really thoughtful about how he wanted to present that so uh, rather than um, make a website for himself he got uh, Chris and Haim, the two programmers from NYU and another programmer named Jared uh, and made this, Etsy. So uh, Etsy launched in 2005 um, You know I think it's worth noting that there wasn't a business plan behind Etsy, it wasn't uh, you know, this, we see a lot of market opportunity in the craft and hobby industry, you know, we can really leverage that. It was more just, you know, here's a need uh, for artists. And, uh, you know, to this day, uh, the the business model of Etsy is the same. We charge 20 cents for someone to list an item and we take 3.5% commission when that item sells. And that's what it was then too, except for those first couple months when it was free. Um, and I remember, you know, the the three and a half percent seems so arbitrary. And I remember, you know, you would think that that would be part of a business calculation. But Rob's like, "How much is eBay?" I'm like, "I don't know, four percent." He's like, "We'll make ours three and a half percent." And so that that's what it was. And I remember, even I've talked to lots of Etsy artists. Uh, you know, are like, "Couldn't you have just made it five percent?" I can't do this math. It's so it's so hard. Um, so, anyways. Uh, this, this was the site. And then Rob, uh, so I, I was getting out of the music business. I was tired of touring. And um, Rob said, well, why don't you come do this with me? And uh, I was like, well, what would I do? I'm not a programmer. He's like, you can be the marketing guy. And I was like, I know nothing about marketing. He's like, you'll be perfect then. <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's what I did. And um, this is actually the first piece of marketing Uh, that I made for Etsy. And, you know, you can tell that I'm not thinking in, like, a web-savvy way. I'm like, let's hand screen print posters and put them up around town. Uh, But that's what we did. And, um, you know, I I also love this this poster because I think it captures the essence of Etsy and the way we were thinking about business even at the very beginning. Uh, So if you can see it, that's a kid throwing a rock at a factory, and it says, End Mass Production. Uh, and, you know, even before reading Schumacher or, or Gandhi, you know, who called for production by the masses, uh, that's what we were thinking about. And we thought that there was a political element to Etsy, uh, the self-sufficiency with doing it yourself, the ability to not have to buy into a system that we knew was actually corrupt and felt wrong to us. Um, so, you know, I started out as the, the marketing person, and just like every other job I'd had, I just figured it out. I started reading lots of marketing books. I started reading lots of business books. Uh, and the more I read those things, the the worse they felt to me. The, I was like, really? This seems so weird. And where are the people in this in this equation? Um, you know, I learned a lot about advertising, and I was like, what a waste of money. Um, you know, if, if we've got $20,000 to spend, the least creative thing we could do would be just to blow it on one ad. Let's actually try to use this money to build a community and support the artists that are selling on the site. Um, so that's what I did. I, I traveled around the world kind of like I was in a band, uh, and I met with local groups of Etsy sellers. Um, 97% of the sellers on Etsy at that time were women. Uh, it's about 90% now. Um, And I went around and just tried to learn from that community and figure out how we could support them. So it was kind of like being on tour again, uh, but, you know, less time in a van. Um, uh, But, you know, I think as we learned, we really realized it was the community that was key to Etsy. So uh, we created community spaces in our office called Etsy Labs where people could come in and make things. Um, It's funny, actually, you know, the screen printing business Uh, We kept it running at the same time as Etsy for a little while because we didn't know which one was going to pan out. Uh, But if you go to Etsy in Brooklyn, our screen printing press is still in there. We moved it into the office. And so uh, we have these spaces where people can come and make things. This is our our community space in Berlin. Uh, It's called the Etsy Labs. Um, But, you know, from the very beginning, we were approaching this as, like, these are our partners in this endeavor, right? We're not making something for these artists, we're making it with these artists because these are our peers and this is our community. Uh, and so that's you know, really the way that we, we thought about business. Um, and just by way of illustration, it's it's going, been going pretty well. Uh, there's now about 45 million members at Etsy, about 1.2 million small businesses selling their things on the site. Um, 200 countries we transacted in last year, which I think is actually all the countries, everywhere. I think. If not, it's most of them, uh, which is also very crazy to think about. Uh, we've got, as Alice mentioned, about 600 employees, uh, around the world. So we've got offices in Brooklyn where our main headquarters are. Uh, we have another office up in the Hudson Valley in Hudson, New York. Uh, and then Amsterdam, Paris, Berlin, London, Dublin, Melbourne, Toronto, San Francisco. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, and that's also really crazy to me. Um, how much the company's grown. Um, these are the sales that we've had each year. So that first year back in uh, just the second part of 2005, about $200,000 worth of goods. Uh, last year, it was $1.35 billion worth of goods. Uh, and we passed that number months and months ago. So uh, the company is is growing a lot. Um, you know, but I think what's important to remember, though, is obviously, you know, not these big numbers, it, it's who's, who's making this money, uh, and it's these people, right, and this is when I really started, the way I thought about Etsy really started to change as Etsy was getting bigger, um, you know, we still just take three and a half percent of that, so actually that 1.35 billion dollars last year is meaningful economic impact in people's lives, and Uh, you know, when you travel around the country and talk to Etsy sellers like I do, uh, you realize that it is meaningful. And I started realizing that business could be this tool for uh, creating a lot more value for the world than it takes. In this case, economic, but probably in other ways, too. Um, So, you all probably recognize this man, uh, Bill McKibben, who gave one of these Schumacher lectures uh, I don't know how many years ago. Uh, I read it actually before I even knew about the Schumacher Center. I found it online and I was like, wow, that guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, But in 2007, uh, I think we had about 20 or so employees at the time. And uh, as a company, we all read the book Deep Economy by Bill McKibben. And that book for me, was really eye opening and uh, just seeing how the importance of of local uh, community based economies and the role that um, supporting or shopping locally could do um, it was just kind of much more eloquently than I could ever state it, stating how we felt about business uh, and that really started to shift the way that I was educating myself about business and i didn 't want to read you know business and marketing books anymore I wanted to read. Bill McKibben and Satish Kumar and all of these interesting people that uh, I was being introduced to or I was discovering for me for the first time. Um, you know, that same year, uh, I met a woman named Linda Ligon, who um, was a kind of pioneer in the craft movement in the U.S. in the 70s. And um, I was telling her all about, like, look, at me, we can build this new model, you know, and do this awesome stuff. And she's like, have you ever read Schumacher? And I was like, Who? And she's like, you should read a book called Small is Beautiful. Uh, And so I did. uh, And that, I think, set me on a whole new path. Um, And, you know, when he talked about evolving to a new lifestyle with new methods of uh, production and new patterns of consumption, a lifestyle designed for permanence, uh, it made so much sense to me. It was everything that I was feeling. And I actually also started to see the role that Etsy could play in that, Um, you know, with our big number of small things rather than small number of very big things with um, you know all of these connected human scale economies that were forming on Etsy Uh, and so you know it was shocking to me that this was something written 40 years ago and it was so right on uh, about everything. Um, So the purpose of Etsy I think started to change then really. Uh, At the end of 2009 uh, I moved to Berlin uh, with my wife to head up our international expansion for Etsy, opened up the first Etsy office over there. Um, but I spent a lot of that time kind of continuing down the path that Schumacher had set me on. So in particular, people like Danilo Meadows, uh, Wendell Berry, Paul Hawken, Thich Han, um Shinroyo Suzuki, these are all of the books that I started to read and this is where I feel like I was really starting to get my business education. And then figuring out how do I actually apply these ideas uh, to the business that we're building right now. Uh, in 2010, uh, something else really interesting happened. Oh, wait, that's Schumacher. <laughs> forgot about that slide. Uh, there's some amazing videos, I'm sure, that you've all seen that you can find on YouTube of uh, E.F. Schumacher speaking, and he's always looked so cool, and he's always like... <laughs> I don't know. I wish I, I wish I could have met the man. He seemed pretty amazing. He's like, I'd call it Christian economics, but... <laughs> You know, I can't remember the quote, but he's amazing. You should watch those videos. Uh, No, that's the other uh, thing that happened. I had my first son uh, in 2010. That's my son, Francis. Um, And I mention this because, you know, between the books I was reading, uh, my own budding contemplative practice, and uh, the child, uh, I started thinking a lot about work and the nature of work and the purpose of business and uh, what was my purpose in life. What was I trying to do? Um, That uh, same, that that next year actually, 2011, we hosted the first ever Etsy uh, conference or event and people for years had been saying, oh, you should put on a big craft fair. Uh, I was like, yeah, maybe we should do that. Um, But you know, where I was and where we were thinking as a company, um, I think this was a very pivotal moment because it marks the shift when we were just publicly saying, oh, it's your place to buy and sell all things handmade. And we started thinking, actually, no, it's this platform for building a new economy. And uh, so this was an economics conference that we put on. Um, I think it's also worth... uh, Well, I've got a quote uh, next. This is very tacky, but I'm going to quote myself. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know if you can read that, I'll say it. It says, decades of an unyielding focus on economic growth above all has left us ever disconnected with nature, our communities, and the people and processes behind the objects in our lives. I think this is unethical, unsustainable, and unfun. However, with the rise of small creative businesses around the world, I feel hope and see real opportunities. Opportunities for us to measure success in new ways. To build connected, community-based economies and most importantly, by doing so, help create a more permanent future. Um, This uh, event is also noteworthy uh, because we had Judy Wicks there, and this is the first time that I met Judy uh, and started to learn about all of the work that she did. Um, And it also really cemented the notion in my head about uh, the role that business can play in helping to build this new economy. Um, You know, there's, there's, there's little doubt that A lot of giant corporations, especially uh, with their outsized influence in politics, which I think is just so, so awful for so many reasons, uh, is they really drive so much of what is troubling in the world. Uh, But I think what Judy has shown us, um, here's a Judy quote, Uh, you know, Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia, Ben Cohen from Ben & Jerry's, uh, Ray Anderson from Interface Carpet, that business... Uh, doesn't have to be degenerative. Um, in fact, business is just a tool, and it's all about how you use it. Um, so after, you know, my wife became pregnant with our first son and all of that soul-searching that ensued, um, I knew that my purpose in life was had to be around contributing to addressing some of these social and ecological issues uh, that the world has. And I even toyed with the notion of, of running for political office, uh, and maybe one day, but I realized that I'm never going to have the reach uh, or impact that I can have with, with Etsy, with the business, uh, with all of the millions of people that we have access to. Um, and I knew that we could further our impact, right? We were having economic impact in people's lives, but what if the purpose of our business, the primary purpose of our business, was positive impact in the world, and that selling things and making money were byproducts of that? That they weren't the motivation, that we were motivated for. How do we use business as the tool to do this? Uh, and so, at that time, uh, I helped create a new mission statement uh, for Etsy. And this is uh, our mission statement today. Reimagine commerce in ways that build a more fulfilling and lasting world. Uh, and that's what I think we're talking about, right? Completely... Reimagine what business is and the purpose of business and do that not to make as much money as possible, but do that to build a world that's lasting, more sustainable, more durable, uh, from a social and ecological and financial point of view, and also more fun, more joyful, more connected, uh, right? More fulfilling. Um, so why business? Um, you know, I think, as I mentioned, Judy and others showed us that you can do this. Uh, but in 2012, something else happened that I think is worth, uh, talking about. And I don't know how many people know about, uh, PIPA, SOPA, uh, or these two pieces of legislation, but, um, I call out because it, to me, it was a really, uh, eye opening moment about, um, the reach and the speed and the agility with which business can operate around an issue. And, my point here is not to talk about this specific issue, but I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, on January 18, 2012, there were two pieces of legislation that were had bipartisan support uh, that were going to sail through both the House and Senate. And um, one was called the Stop Online Piracy Act, or SOPA, and the other one was called the Protect IP Act, or PIPA. And... Um, Basically, these laws were giving power to the government and others to stop online piracy. The motion picture industry was the proponent and kind of introducer of this law. Is it crazy that, like, the motion picture industry introduces legislation? Um, anyways, that's not my point, but it is crazy. You know, I mean, via someone. Uh, but <laughs> the, uh, the, the the laws as they were written basically could have created uh, tools for for censorship of the internet and um, so what happened on the single day a bunch of big um, for-profit companies uh, not you know super well coordinated but very quickly in a single day organized to protest these two pieces of legislation and, and here's what happens here's some stats from that day uh, more than eight million people looked up their representatives on wikipedia three million people emailed congress more than 1 million messages were sent through the Electronic Frontier Foundation to Congress. A petition at Google recorded over 4.5 million signatures. Twitter recorded 2.4 million SOPA related tweets. And lawmakers collected more than 14 million names who contacted them to protest the bills. Um, so, what's, you know, happens next is what's really amazing is that the bills were stopped dead in their tracks. Um, No one wanted to touch them, and they've never been reintroduced since. So, you know, it's not the the bills themselves, um, but it makes me realize that business can be a very powerful tool. And if you think about that, you know, the people behind that thing, there's a handful of people there. It's not trying to convince these completely, uh, you know, stuck partisan politics, uh, you know, special interests that can't, you know, even... Put common sense before anything else. So, uh, it showed me that business can be the right tool. Uh, but it's all about, um, how you use it. You have to use business right. Um, so what does it mean to use business right? Uh, a few years ago, um, as Etsy was becoming really successful, uh, I, I began to develop what I can only call a case of imposter syndrome. Um, you know, I, just like anyone else, have a lot of insecurities around uh, what I do and and am I qualified to do this? I never went to business school. Like, why are you here listening to me? You know, I guess because you want to support the Schumacher Center, so that's great. But, you know, who am I? Uh, And here I was, I was speaking at these big marketing conferences, and I I felt like someone was going to catch me. You know, like the board of directors was going to be like, "Um, all right, the jig's up, buddy. You're out of here. You know, here I was at these conferences, and I was like, I find a lot of advertising, like, morally questionable. Like, but I'm the marketing guy. So, uh, you know, that was pretty funny. I found, um, you know, maybe growing the company isn't the best thing. Maybe it's not always about growth. These are the things that I was feeling. Uh, but I felt nervous. I felt like I didn't have the authority to be saying them. So, uh, at this moment of real insecurity, I decided that I needed to get an MBA, uh, and I decided it'd be a really good idea to, you know, spend my only free time away from my family, uh, spend 70,000 bucks uh, and get this degree, you know, learning a lot of the things that I actually felt like I could teach just because I'd been doing them uh, and a lot of things that were morally questionable to me. And I, and I say this not to put MBAs down. My brother has an MBA. He's definitely the smart one uh, in the family. Uh, I'm very glad, for example, that our CFO has one or two, I don't know, maybe three. Uh, She's a lot smarter than I am. So, you know, uh, this is not a a critique of MBAs, but maybe a critique of how we're educating people and and what we're educating, uh, what we're teaching them. Um, You know, I realize that if if we're trying to reimagine commerce, reimagine how business is done, then maybe I I shouldn't be learning how to do it like everybody else. Uh, And I think uh, Schumacher said this too Um, In Small is Beautiful he wrote Hold on let me get that quote right Uh, The perpetual state of crisis in which we find ourselves Suggests that there might be something wrong with our education Uh, And I think that's true You know for him the task of education first and foremost Was about the transmission of ideas of value He also wrote More education can help us only if it produces more wisdom. And uh, 20 years later, during his Schumacher lecture, David Orr, go Oberlin, uh, echoed this sentiment. He he said, the skills, aptitudes, and attitudes necessary to industrialize the earth are not necessarily the same as those that will be needed to heal the earth or to build durable economies and good communities. And isn't that what we were trying to do with Etsy? Reimagine commerce to build durable economies and good communities. So I asked myself, what are the skills, aptitudes, and attitudes that will get us there? As a first step to echo Schumacher, I believe we need to bring more wisdom to education. While I believe business skills are very essential, you need to know some accounting and some other things uh, to be an entrepreneur, I feel like they should be supplemented or even secondary to courses and subjects like systems thinking, permaculture, ecological commerce, biomimicry, art, craft, authentic leadership, ethics, citizenship, nonviolent communication, community organization, just culture, and mindfulness, to name a few. These are the things that I find have been really useful for me as I've been on my own educational journey. Uh, I also think we need to take education away from the wholly theoretical and move more towards the experiential. This is something that uh, my whole education of business has been experiential. I just figured these things out by doing them. Uh, and you know, you mess up a lot, but that's okay. Um, David Orr in that same lecture said, things like rivers are real, disciplines are abstract. And I often ask myself, is is mastery of Microsoft Excel more important than mastery of one's own mind through meditation? Uh, will I learn more in a marketing class or walking in the woods? These are the questions I've been asking myself. Uh, More importantly, uh, I think uh, than even the subjects that we study are the belief systems that underpin them. Uh, If we're going to reimagine commerce, then we we need to begin with the proper understanding of the world and our relationship to it. Uh, What we truly need is a shift in consciousness. Um, You know, the right framework upon which to build our institutions and. Uh it turns out that I'm not the only person who's had this idea. Uh someone I like to call Buddha uh said something to this effect about two thousand five hundred years ago. Uh and as I'm sure many of you know, uh in his first sermon following enlightenment, the Buddha laid out four noble truths about the nature of suffering and its alleviation, and then laid out a path that will actually get us there, the, the Eightfold Noble Path, uh, in fact. Um Typically listed as the first step on the Eightfold Noble Path is what's commonly called right view. Uh, And I think this is what we really need to begin with when we're thinking about business. It's the right view. And right view, to me, is about seeing things as they really are. About really getting to the depth of things. Uh, Starting out with the right framework of of understanding in order to have, then, the right intentions and make the decisions and actions accordingly. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh... um, puts right view far more eloquently than I ever could. He writes, touching reality deeply, knowing what is going on inside and outside of ourselves is the way to liberate ourselves from the suffering that is caused by wrong perceptions. Right view is the insight we have into the reality of life, a living insight that fills us with understanding, peace, and love. So if we're to reimagine commerce, we need to start from a place of right view. We need to really see things as they are and work to fundamentally shift the wrong perceptions upon which so many of our enterprises are built. Wendell Berry knows this too. He wrote, we've lived our lives by the assumption that what was good for us would be good for the world. We've been wrong. We must change our lives so that what is good for us, what is good for the world will be good for us. And that requires that we make the effort to know the world and learn what is good for it. Joanna Macy, uh, the Buddhist scholar and activist, uh, also spoke of these assumptions. And she wrote, uh, we must address the root causes of our unsustainable practices which lie deeply in our assumptions about the relationship of humans to the natural world and in our relative ignorance of the functioning of living systems, including human systems. So, I, uh, you know, I quote all of these people also to show you that, like, I'm not crazy. This is, this is actually, there's a lot, there's some very intelligent people who have the same ideas. And, um, to so me, when it comes to business, right view is a systems view. Um, but like Otto Scharmer teaches us and writes, it's not an ecosystem view, it's an ecosystem-centric view. And so when I started thinking about Yeah. When I started thinking about the reimagination of commerce, I started saying, you know, maybe we don't need to be looking to Amazon or eBay or these other big businesses uh, to do things differently. Uh, maybe we need to be looking to nature. Uh, and when I started to look to nature to think about what can we learn? Uh, how can we, what can we learn about business from looking at nature? Um, I realized there was a ton. There was a ton of incredible information there, uh, you know, just ripe to be learning from. And uh, you know, I started thinking about ecosystems. And when you think about ecosystems, uh, I was thinking about, well, what's the place that Etsy plays in the ecosystem? And I realized actually that you can't, literally can't have ecosystems without Etsy in the middle. Anyone get it? <laughs> Sorry. <coughs> As my colleagues know, I, I, I kind of found that one day and I was like, whoa. <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> know, it was quite a surprise. Uh, It's not that clever. but (laughs) There it is. Uh, So, all joking aside, uh, I started thinking about the lessons that we could learn from uh, looking at ecosystems when it comes to business. Um, The first thing uh, about the nature of ecosystems that I think are telling for business is that they are complex and they are distributed, right? Uh, And you think about this uh, just like Etsy, with its 1.2 million small businesses, it's a big number of small things rather than a small number of very big things. And this, it turns out, is a very resilient uh, structure for business. Now, I started thinking about, um, sadly, so much of the way agriculture exists today and you have these big monocultures of corn or soybeans or whatever, you know, you drive across the U.S. and you just see miles after miles of cornfields. Uh, probably in places where there was once a lot of rich biodiversity. Um, well, what happens, you know, to sustain that, you need to pump more and more chemicals into the ground, you need more and more insecticides to actually, um, you know, keep these things alive. Uh, and the soil is ever degrading, I and mean, Severin could, anyone here could talk about this stuff. But, you know, what happens, say, if you get a blight or, or an insect that uh, likes to eat corn? Well, the whole system collapses, right? It's not a resilient structure. You have all of these brittle, brittle concentrations. Uh, And I was thinking about this. This is true for economies, too. Um, So Etsy runs a program called Craft Entrepreneurship where we partner with cities um, to do entrepreneurial education for underserved populations. And we do these uh, all around the country, one in the U.K. Uh, We do one of them in in Rockford, Illinois. And uh, as we were establishing this program, I met the mayor of Rockford a few times, and I was talking to him about his city. And he was saying there used to be hundreds of these uh, artisan furniture businesses there. And, you know, Michelle, I'm sure, can relate to these stories. Uh, you know, what happened, uh, you know, you start to have consolidations and then these big things come and everyone goes and works. Hi. <laughs> everyone goes and works for this small number of very big things rather than this big uh, number of very small things. And what happens when that factory leaves that town? Well, the whole system collapses, right? So it's it's... There's an important lesson here in understanding the, the uh, distributed, complex interactions of an ecosystem. Um, another thing about ecosystems is that they're dynamic. They're always shifting and always changing. And this is, I think, incredibly important for, for business people, for entrepreneurs. Um, like ecosystems, businesses are always changing. And they're always moving really quickly. And uh, I tribute my longevity at Etsy to the fact that um, I don't hold on too tightly to things, uh, that I that I am flexible, that I move with the energy and the flow and I recognize that it moves. Uh, it's. I feel like the people who get too caught up on a, in an identity or a fixed sense of, well, I'm this person, so I need to do this. Uh, those are the ones that don't last and those are the businesses that don't last. Um, another uh, thing about the nature of ecosystems is that they're patterns within patterns, right? They're, they're made up of ever smaller ecosystems. Uh, and this, I think, is probably one of the most important lessons that you can learn uh, about business. Um, you know, I'll use Etsy as an example. So we have uh, the business ecosystem of all the businesses, and then maybe the ecosystem of tech companies, and then we have the ecosystem of Brooklyn businesses or New York businesses and then we have the ecosystem of Etsy which is made up of the ecosystem of sellers and the ecosystem of buyers and the ecosystem of suppliers and the natural systems blah 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 systems within systems right all the way down to say the ecosystem of of my team at Etsy or the teams at Etsy all the way to the ecosystem of me right I am an ecosystem too my whole body is a system Uh, and this is where it gets very very important All of those little tiny parts are interdependent, and this is the key uh, to thinking about it, right? Um, The success of Etsy is connected to the success of all of those pieces too. And so if you see yourself as part of an interdependent ecosystem, then you need to make the decisions uh, that create the most benefit for all of the little stakeholders that you can. Right, and you should never make decisions that come at the detriment of one of those stakeholders, uh, because that's you know you're going to be harming yourself, uh, harming yourself if you do that. Uh, you should do business in ways that are good for your peers, good for your neighbors, good for your employees, and good for you, and perhaps most importantly, good for the planet. Right, the planet is part of the ecosystem. The planet is the ecosystem. Right, there is no uh, economy without ecology. Everything is connected. Um, just in case you're not convinced Schumacher knew this too (laughs) Uh, he wrote modern man does not experience himself as part of nature but as an outside force destined to dominate and conquer it he even talks of battle with nature forgetting that if he won the battle he would find himself on the losing side so looking one last time to ecosystems uh we're presented with a strategy that teaches us what we need to know to operate from this. Uh, and that's basically that the most abundance exists at the connections where these things come together. Uh, think about you know, the, the edge of a forest, an estuary, you have the most biodiversity, you have the, the, the richest soil. Uh, and this is true for our business. We create the most abundance when uh, I'm connected as the ecosystem of me, body, mind, and spirit. Uh, my team is connected, uh, where we see that, you know, Katie's success is my success, Will's success is et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, we create the most value when we connect uh, a buyer with a seller, right? That meaningful transaction, that's what makes Etsy special. Uh, when we connect two sellers together in a team, Uh, And a lot of the work that we do at Etsy is really about trying to strengthen these connections. Because I think when you strengthen the connections, then you're able to see the interdependence of all of these different parts and make the decisions uh, that create the most value for people on the planet. So, um, I want to quote Judy here, actually, uh, one more time. She knew this inherently, uh, Judy Wicks we're talking about. Uh, during her Schumacher lecture, she said, "I attribute our success to making decisions not for the sake of maximizing profits but instead maximizing relationships with our customers and staff with our community and with our suppliers and our natural environment and that 's what I think it 's really all about uh, so I, I was in, in thinking about this lecture, I was reminded of uh, that Bill McKibben book I mentioned earlier, Deep Economy. And in that book, he said something uh, that I think was what it's all about. He said, the key question will change from whether the economy produces an ever-larger pile of stuff to whether it builds or undermines community. For community, it turns out, is the key to physical survival and our environmental predicament and also to human satisfaction. And then I realized that's Etsy's mission, right? Build community, don't sell stuff. That's reimagining commerce. Uh, Survival, lasting, right? And fulfill, fulfilling, right? That's human satisfaction. So, without even realizing it, he'd written our mission statement in 2007. But I want to leave with uh, one last thought, which is maybe more of a, a challenge of sorts, uh, both to myself and to all of you. Um, you know, when you think about the incredible challenges that we're facing right now climate change, wealth inequality, resource scarcity, Plastic islands in the sea, tar sands, fracking, loss of indigenous culture, waste these things are all connected, and I hate to say it we 're all complicit in these things we 're all part of this, and you know as much as I want to just blame ExxonMobil and Monsanto and all of these companies, uh, you know it 's the choices that we make as consumers that also perpetuate the system and create a lot of these problems. You know, we're consumers of thoughts, consumers of goods, consumers of time, consumers of food. Uh, You get the picture. So to meet these challenges, I think we all need to think more deeply about the choices we make as businesses, as individuals, as consumers. And I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty. I'm just as much a part of this as anyone else. Uh, You know, and and frankly, there is a lot of pressure to continue to consume the way that we do. In fact, it's really easy to do it. And I was thinking about this the other day. A lot of the smartest people in the world are focused on making it easier and more convenient. Uh, and I think that there's, that's part of the problem. Um, Schumacher, just since we're here, I'll quote him one more time. See, everything's in Schumacher. You, you can find every, the answers to business are in Schumacher or, or Buddhism. Uh, I, every time I think I have a great idea, I was like, oh, wait, that's Buddhism. Um, <laughs> so he wrote, an attitude to life which seeks fulfillment in the single-minded pursuit of wealth in short materialism does not fit into this world because it contains within itself no limiting principle, while the environment in which it is placed is strictly limited. So the other day, uh, my friend Palmer came up to me, and he, he patted my ever more middle-aged belly. He's like, you're getting rich. Uh, <laughs> I think he meant it sweetly. Uh <laughs> but it made me realize that, that I'm the product of the choices that I make every day. Uh, and every day we make choices, right? We choose to eat one thing versus another. We choose what we read, what we watch, where we go online. We choose to buy one item or another item. We choose to take the stairs, ride in an elevator, fly somewhere or stay put. Uh, We choose to engage with the world around us or or we stare into our phones. We choose to listen deeply or to be lost in thought. And I say these things, again, not to make anyone feel bad, uh, but just perhaps we need to spend more time thinking before we act. And maybe we, as both entrepreneurs and consumers, uh, should pause and ask ourselves ourselves, What is the choice that will strengthen the connections between and create the most benefit for all the parts of this interdependent ecosystem? Perhaps then, by acting accordingly, we might begin to build a new system. One that creates far more value for communities in the planet than it takes from it. And this is what I'm working to do in in my personal life and with Etsy. It's, It's all about choices. And the challenge that I give to myself and to you all and to your businesses and to your everything you do is to choose connection and live in fragments no longer. Thanks.
0: And in any case, it's certainly worth a hell of a try because it's all positive development anyway. Mm -hmm. To hear more talks like this one and discover more than 30 years of Schumacher Lectures, visit centerforneweconomics.org. The Schumacher Center for New Economics Research Library houses the collections of E.F. Schumacher, Robert Swan, and other influential thinkers in the new economy movement. You can strengthen our mission by purchasing a copy of your favorite Schumacher Lectures at centerforneweconomics.org slash order pamphlets. Our work is supported by listeners like you. You can donate to our cause at centerforneweconomics.org slash donate. This library and the Schumacher Lectures capture powerful voices for economic reform. Voices with the strength to move and inspire. They frame and inform action, but are not themselves the action. At a time when our earth is in crisis and our communities face complex challenges, we are all charged with creating solutions. The Schumacher Center's applied work seeks to implement the principles described by these speakers within the context of the Berkshire Hills of Massachusetts. This work includes crafting innovative leases that share equity and improvements while holding land and community trust, building Berkshares, a local currency designed to democratize monetary issue and keep money circulating in the region, and engaging citizens in supporting the development of regionally appropriate businesses creating local jobs, while retaining local ownership and control. You can support our work in a new economy by making a donation at centerforneweconomics.org slash donate. Or call us at 413-528-1737 to make an appointment to visit our research library and office at 140 Jugend Road, Great Barrington, Massachusetts.